Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the latest edition of the Outsports Podcast. It is January 19th, day before the inauguration, three days before the NFC and AFC Championship game, and a couple of days before Sid gets out of town for a week, going on a cruise, Sid. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait. The cruise, Atlanta's what's cruise, the, what's the uh, I, cruise. is this an islands cruise? Mm. Yeah, it, 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 the stops really don't matter. The stops are kind of irrelevant on, on because in the Caribbean, people, Atlantis has a, um, Mediterranean cruises, and and people will stop and get off the boat in Rome and places. But the Caribbean, I mean, whether you stop at uh, Saint Kitts or Saint Martin or Cozumel, it really like it really doesn't matter. So, when, are you going to be able to watch any of the football games this weekend? Well, so I, this this happens every cruise. It it lands on either the Super Bowl or the conference championships. And the first the first day we're on the boat, in fact, we'll still be. I didn't even think that we'll still be docked when the when the games are going on. So yeah, I'll probably watch. But you know, I I kind of take the attitude that you know I'm a Patriots fan. That's what I really want to know. And if the if the Patriots lose, do I really want to spend three hours while I'm on a, an amazing cruise ship watching football? Um, and watch them lose. And if they win, I get to watch them in the Super Bowl anyway. So I, I probably won't watch most of it. Yeah, that would that'd be my philosophy. I mean, I'd, if I was around, but I wouldn't make a special point of watching a particular game. Sometimes it's nice just to know the score. Okay, I taped it at home, and I could watch it when I get back. <laughs> well, again, or I don't want Paul like, to hit the, delete the, what <laughs> was the minute I get if back. If it's their last game of the season, I don't want to watch it because that means I spent three hours watching them lose. And and last last year I spent probably about ninety minutes watching them lose, and I was like, well, that was a waste of ninety minutes. I didn't want to watch that, so I probably won't. I loved it. every second of it. I I'm sure I'm sure. Well, it's, when when you're a Patriots hater, you have to cling to the few moments that you have when they actually lose. Yeah, but the hate's kind of been diminished now that Peyton's retired. So much of it was that. It's like, oh, it's not the same. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not the same. But I think for a lot of people it is the same because the Patriots are still. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's not. I mean, to me, my dislike of the Patriots is nowhere near as like, you know, it was like. But two good games. I mean, I think they're both. I can see both going either way. The Patriots are clearly the favorite. Uh, and Atlanta, Patriots are five-and-a-half-point favorite. Atlanta's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. But the New York Times had a story how the Patriots have covered 13 of their 16 games this year. Wow. Well, because I think, I guess it's because of the, the deflate gate and the suspension at the beginning and I, I, I guess, but I'll tell you. I mean, and I will. I'll, I'll guess. I'll. Jim and I are in this, this uh, playoff pool, and I'll reveal the one. I'll reveal my hand a little bit, and of course, I'll end up being wrong. I don't see the Falcons losing this weekend. That team of any of the teams that I've watched, and I, I have Matt Ryan and Matt Bryant on my fantasy team, so I watched a lot of Falcons this year. The Falcons. That is a relentless team. They 
and of course they can make a mistake. And of course, a team like I think it was Arizona had a great game against them, or somebody had a, a the Chiefs. The Chiefs had a great game against them. Of course, that could happen. But gosh, I mean, they're going to put up 38 points, and that defense is 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 better than you think. So I just they just don't stop coming at you, and I just don't see the Packers winning that game. Yeah, I'm just I bet against Aaron Rodgers the last two weeks, so I'm not sure what I'll do this week. Although I do have to kind of catch up to you, so I was going to probably bet against you anyway if I could figure it out. But um, we're in a well, weird. We, have a, just, we always have some poll going on. So what? Well, the funny thing is, if you know, if you kind of well, you didn't knowingly did that, but you kind of did that with the Steelers game, right? I had picked the Steelers to win. You ended up picking. You ended up picking the Chiefs, and you would have been much better off just going with. The Steelers, you yeah. would have picked up more. Well, that was a though... game, though. I kept flipping a coin. I literally kept going back and forth and back and forth, and then finally decided my first pick was Steelers 17-16, which was a point off, and I switched it to <laughs> Kansas City 19-17. So whatever. Should be two good games this week, uh, at least on paper, and then uh, the Super Bowls in Houston uh, two weeks after. But today we're going to talk uh, in a, a little bit. We're having Andrea Barone, who's a – uh, professional hockey referee, uh, openly gay, to talk to us about two hockey stories that have been in the news um, and a little bit about what, what's going on with him. Uh, but he's getting on a plane, so uh, <laughs> he told me that if he cannot call, we'll, we'll kind of wing it without him. But uh, we had a, uh, there was a story today in The Advocate that uh, uh, the chief marketing officer for the New York Nets uh, has come out publicly as gay. She's been with a partner for 28 years. And they're having their first Pride Night next week. Yeah, well, it's neat. It's always neat to see anybody in sports coming out, and somebody who's been there for so long. Uh, we've seen Eric Braverman with the Dodgers and Molly. Um, God, I'm forgetting her name with the Rams. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, and, and so yes, this is you know another. This is not obviously some big player or a coach or some well-known person, but to know that there's an LGBT voice in the front office of the Nets, and this is not just some Joe Schmo. this is the chief marketing officer. This is, this is, this is one of the people uh, who is in charge of crafting the public messaging of the team. Uh, it's, it, it's obviously, it's, it's great to see. It's great to see that she's able to be out and open and, and herself with the team, and now to be able to talk about it publicly, it's just, you know, I, I, we applaud this every time it happens. It's also interesting to me the difference between these jobs and the athletes. The athletes have a short shelf life. They can be retired by the time they're 30. So it's easier for people to kind of compartmentalize and put off coming out or never coming out. But when you're going to be working in a career until, you know, maybe into your 60s, you don't really want to stay hidden your whole life. So I think that's why we're seeing more people in the business side of sports, administration side, come out because they realize I may be doing this job till I'm 65 and I don't want to always have to hide. So, um, and, and, you know, in her case, she's been one of the people who've been out for a while, but is now doing it publicly and it's perfectly timed to the uh, Nets uh, first Pride Night on the 25th and the St. Louis Blues and hockey are having their first Pride Night tonight. And I checked and tickets are no longer available. So I assume that uh, it's a good sellout. And well, St. Louis has a real big hockey tradition. So the game probably was going to sell out regardless. Um, but yeah. uh, just quite good to see. But I do think that it's a an interesting thing that when you are when you're going when you can't don't have a short you know act you know professional life you're more inclined to say I'm not going to stay hidden forever. 
Yeah, I, we, of, of course. If, if professional athletes played until they were 60, we would see more of them out. There's no question. Well, because people like John Amici would have eventually come out. Um, one little tidbit, though, that I noticed with the Brooklyn Nets Pride Night, tickets are $85. And then <laughs> it, there's some panel discussion. And if you want to go to the panel discussion, you have to pay another $30. So, I mean, first of all, you, I would pay $30 not to go to panel discussions. But $115 to take in the whole night's events, like $115 a person, that was, I thought, that was a, a, bit, a bit much. Well, who's on the panel? Oh, Jason Collins is on the panel, and uh, Tracy Bame from the Windy City Times. Uh, and the net CMO, um, you know, I, I, some lovely people, right? We love Jason, but I, I'm not paying thirty dollars to go to go hear him talk before a game. I just it just seemed odd. Like you have to. I'm just curious who they're going to get to go to it because they have to. Somebody has to pay thirty dollars extra to go to this panel discussion before a game. Like I, I don't know. I, I just again I hadn't I hadn't seen that before I hadn't seen a price tag of eighty five dollars on a Pride night before I thought it was interesting. It is Brooklyn, so you got artisanal chocolate or something to go along with it, probably. <laughs> a little artisanal and some handcrafted beer yeah. and uh, all with the hipsters with the Amish beard. So, but that's for another that's for another time. Uh, uh, Andrea, are you on the line? I am here. I am. Great. Uh, our guest is uh, Andrea Barone. He is a uh, referee with the East Coast Hockey League, which is a high-level, um, basically minor league for the NHL. There's one step below the American Hockey League, then you get the NHL. And we've written about Andrea's uh, being the only gay uh, referee in, in professional hockey. Uh, well, so first, first off, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Good to be and back. And it should be noted, Jim. It should be noted, Jim, that he has selected the loudest place in all of, of the North America <laughs> to talk to us from today. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Toronto Pearson. That's where I am right now. <laughs> and heading to where game? Uh, yeah, Salt Lake City. Got a game tomorrow night and Saturday night. Well, good. Yeah, we wanted to get you. We know you have to catch a flight, so if you have to take off, just let us know. It won't be very long. I'm, but, I'm, oh, I'm, uh, sh- shockingly, I'm, I'm delayed, so we got time. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll probably be done with the podcast then by then, but I totally want to talk to you about, but first, I saw a really good story on you in the hockey news that ran in the fall, and um, it began with this uh, the, the three-letter word that some guy uttered on the ice uh, in the spring. Uh, do you want to give a, uh, briefly talk about the story and how you resolved it with this uh, player? Yeah, well, it was just at the end of the game, guys were heated, um, and um, on the way off the ice, uh, they kind of went off. The the way the arena set up is that they go off in separate corners, but they're pretty close to each other, and they almost have to cross paths with teams. And uh, just on the way off, one guy was just kind of yelling at the other one, um, you know, I'll get out of here, you fucking fag. And... Um, I didn't really say anything in the moment. I was like, okay, whatever. And then I just, uh, I saw him in the hallway after, uh, afterwards, half an hour later, and I uh, just kind of addressed it. I told him, uh, hey, listen, like, you know, you can't, I, saw, I heard what you said at the end of the game, you can't go around calling guys that. Um, and then his first reaction was kind of like, uh, well, like, what's the big deal? I can say whatever I want. He didn't really get it. And then I told him, well, I'm gay, so I think offense to that. 
and he and his face just like his mouth almost literally dropped, and it all kind of made sense really quickly. And he immediately profusely apologized and uh, said that he, yeah, he's actually uh, he actually has very close to some gay friends from back home, but he never. You can just tell that the connection was never made. That what like what that word meant, kind of thing, and that how it was so acceptable in the hockey world that even though he had gay friends at home, it did, it's a completely different world. That it doesn't matter. So maybe he may not use that word at home or when he's outside of hockey, but in the season, uh, he you know in his mind at the time that was, it wasn't a big deal. He didn't even make that connection. And uh, anyway, yeah. So he really, really I instantly, really, really felt bad. And he actually sent me a, sent me an email later on that night saying. You know, uh, he could like he felt so bad. He, he couldn't. He was on the bus and he couldn't sleep and all these things. So he he definitely uh, it was definitely genuine. Uh, the apology was definitely genuine. And it's so interesting that his his response obviously means that well a couple things. One, he didn't quote unquote mean it to be anti-gay. Uh, but two, he assumes that everybody's straight. That that that. You know, obviously, as soon as he heard that you were gay, he understood the different meaning of it. And so he just assumes that all the players and all the referees and all the coaches and all the fans who are always in earshot of him are straight. And I'd be curious, I'd just be curious to ask him why. Why do you assume that given how gay people are in every corner of society? And it's pretty crystal clear at this point that we're in sports as well. Did, did you ask him about that? I didn't because I kind of already know the answer and I think it's uh it's because in hockey it's I mean, I read that article you guys posted on the whole Brad Marchand thing. And I think I think that's it's accurate and it's 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 great as a whole, as a culture thing, but at the same time I think um it's funny, hockey is it's at the same time the most accepted has most acceptance in the sport, but at the same time, it's also the least. It seems like it's the least acceptable all at the same time in a very convoluted, weird, weird manner. Um, so I think he just thought that uh, he just he never occur, occurred to him because he just wasn't. It was never brought to his attention. He was never educated on it. He was never exposed to it. I mean, you know, to us, saying that it's in every corner of of life, it's maybe a little more obvious than it is to him. Well, yeah, I want to reference our, to our listeners that uh, Brad Marchand of the uh, uh, Boston Bruins said that uh, guys would accept a, a gay teammate, no question. You know, we're a family, that's the way it is on a hockey team, that's what way it is all you mean. But you said it's a convoluted both accepting and not accepting. You talk about the, what is it about the hockey culture that makes it not as accepting, you think? I mean, just as a sport itself and what it represents in the sense that it's very, very hyper-masculine, macho, doggy dog kind of world. It's you're on my team or, or, or you're not, basically. Uh, and if you're not, well, then anything goes. Um, and it just seems like um, – I, I, it's so hard to explain, but it just seems like it's – it's almost like that, the culture of the game itself. Forget about anything about being gay or being straight. Just the culture of the game itself is at the complete other end of the spectrum of um, what the LGBT community preaches and is, if that makes any sense. Um, and I know it, I may be using stereotypes and generalizing, but in my experience, that's very, very true. 
Uh, and for for me, certainly personally, it's true. I mean, I still feel like even though I'm, you know, definitely the most out person, especially uh, in in hockey as a male right now. Uh, obviously, there are many women who are out, but as a male, um, I, I'm I'm basically the only one. And I still feel like even though I'm that out and that open, and it's been so acceptable, I still feel like it's a culture that, um, as much as it's, it's almost a culture that that clashes with my everyday life if I was as a gay man if I was you know not in hockey uh and I feel like I have to I just don't feel as comfortable like, as I do around the game as I think a straight person but another thing has, that has to do with homophobia it just that has to do with reality well it has to do with to me it has to do with heterosexism when when I'm when I go to events and you're hanging out with sports writers 98% of whom are straight guys they're it, it's funny they, they most of them wear the same you know frumpy looking uniform most of them are drinking beer most of them are talking about uh women or just just they're just talking like straight guys and they're not many many of these guys are incredibly gay friendly they love the work that jim and i do but just when i go to events and they're there i just feel like an outsider i'm just not a yeah and 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 that it just pervades everything that they do and when it's just a bunch of straight guys it's just there's just this energy about it that i often don't feel i don't i don't feel uncomfortable really but i don't feel i don't know i still feel like i belong yeah it's not at atlantis it's not at atlantis cruise on the let me interrupt for a second we have a caller on the line hello hi hi can you hear me? Um, who is it? Where, where, yeah, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Jackman, Maine. And you have a question yeah. for Andrea? I have a statement. Okay. Gay people don't belong in sports. Gay people don't belong in sports. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, All right, well, <laughs> that ship has... That ship has sailed. The gay people well, are Well, except what's interesting, and... he's li- he's listening to our podcast, though, so... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. Uh, he, he, discovered, he discovered the podcast yeah. somehow in Maine, so he's probably a hockey fan. Uh, so I got rid of him, so that was our first crank caller, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't think you were anyway. a crank caller. I don't know. No, I don't, no, I yeah, that meaning... No, no, I'm sorry. I would have no, liked I got to rid- him. Well, I got rid of him. I'm not going to... I, I, I didn't want to get into it. I could. I just deleted him. So sorry. He can call back if he wants to. And I just am getting. I have very little patience for that kind of stuff anymore. So, but uh, uh, Dre, I want to talk about a study that came out of 120 hockey players and six coaches in Canada's major midget AAA level, which is a kind of an elite level hockey for for ages 15 to 18. A lot of these guys will be going on to be NHL players tomorrow. Um, and it's said that hockey players have been taught that anything but heterosexuality or heteronormativity shows weakness. So you have to act a certain way. And the biggest concern these guys had was showering with a openly gay teammate and being naked to them and having them be attracted to them. Do you think that rings true to you? Well, I think to be honest with you, I just think that's an age thing more than anything else. It's not as I don't think that has to do anything more than uh, they're just kids, they're teenagers who don't uh, kind of don't understand, they're kind of still figuring, you know, 
whether they're straight or gay or whatever, they're still probably trying to figure out, uh, you know, what being attracted to someone else means and what's having sex means and all that thing, whether it's with a girl or a guy. Uh, so I just think of that. I just think that's a little, you know, it's not silly. It is what it is. But we're talking. You're talking to 15 and 16 year olds. So you know, you ask any, I mean, you ask uh, someone who's you know been around the game longer or uh, just a little has a little more life experience. Uh, I think you'll get a different answer. And that's been my experience. Do you have do you have any reason to believe uh, that a gay athlete would not be accepted by his NFL uh, his NHL teammates or or or, or anywhere across professional hockey? Because as as I put this out earlier today, um, you know people say, oh well the fans and this this is the problem. Do you have any reason to believe that there won't be pretty much total complete and utter acceptance when somebody comes out? Um. I mean, I think it'll be a generally positive experience, uh, which means I have the only doubt I would have is is someone who isn't comfortable with it or just doesn't like gays for whatever reason, um, and who kind of is probably silenced and won't speak out because they realize that it's it's become like it's the right thing to do to you know to to, to support LGBT rights, and I'm not, and I'm not saying it's not; it is. Um, but I'm saying that means that would be the only thing. And you know, hockey teams, as much as the family they are, uh, it's great. It's great when you're winning, but when you're a losing team, uh, clicks start to happen really quickly, and people start to talk and turn on each, turn on each other really quickly. So there's, you know, it's 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 great to say that their hockey, hockey teams are family and they fix the death and all this stuff. But just like anything else, there are, there's you know there's there's locker room politics and there's there's clicks and there's people talk and. Not saying all teams, but it does happen, and that's the other. That's the, the flip side reality of it. Um, and I think a lot of the closeted players, wherever they are, know that also. Um, so, so yeah. So you think that keeps them closeted? That that idea, or is it just is there a lot more involved in it? Oh, I think there's more. I don't know. I don't think I don't think that's the only thing that keeps it closeted. Um, but I think um, like the reality of it in professional sports is that. As much as the media may be in the locker rooms and all this stuff, no one really knows what like what what the atmosphere is like in that. And, 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 and honestly, it can change from month to month, to season to season, depending on coach, teammates, captains, wins, losses, all this stuff. Uh, no one really knows what happens or what's said or what or or, or the mood um, beyond the very uh, you know very boring stereotype answers from the uh, you're going to get from media questions. Um, but no, I don't think that's the only thing keeping them from coming out. I think there are other factors. Also, you know, it's such a personal thing. I'm sure there are tons of personal factors that, you know, we don't we can't even begin to guess because there are so many possibilities. How many players have that you've that you've interacted with, um, you know, that 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 know you're gay and. How many of them have just come up to you and said, "Hey, you know, cool article." I was talking to Nick McCarville. He's a he's a writer, and he's at the Australian Open this week. And he said that people from around the country have come up, around the world have come up to him this week at the Aussie Open and said, "Oh, we saw your saw your article on Outsports. That was really cool." Have have players, have coaches, have, have people, have teams talked to you uh, about I, this? I've had I've had a few coaches before games uh, tell me, "Hey, I read that article, especially the hockey news one. I think that one really." Uh, had an impact within, I think outside of the hockey world, I got a lot more reaction from the outsports one inside the hockey world. I got a lot more reaction from the hockey news one. Um, and I think, yeah, I get coaches, um, who say, Hey, like I read that article. It's really cool. I didn't know. Or, 
uh, that's really good work you're doing or whatever. Uh, player-wise, honestly, I've only had one or two players. Um, and I think that kind of shows also, um, especially in the minor leagues. I think in the NHL it's different because they're so under the microscope and they're expected to be role, role models. Uh, in the minor leagues, it's a bit of a different animal. Uh, it, it's, it's a little more old school um, uh, in, in every sense. Um, so, like, I, you know, they don't, they're not exposed, you know, just the fact that they haven't even heard of the article or read it or whatever um, kind of shows that they're kind of, it's still, you know, the LGBT community in minor sports are, are still outsiders. And I think that's very true. So that does also show the insular, the insular nature of a lot of players that they're not really, you know, they, they pay attention to what they pay attention to and they're not maybe as aware of what's going on as maybe the administrators and coaches are? Yeah, definitely. And I don't think it means that the players are, like I said, homophobic or anything like that. I think it's just a question of um, being isolated in, in your own world. And I think we all, to a certain level or in certain aspects of our life, have that that going on, whether it's your, your, your Facebook news feed that just feeds the stuff you want to hear and you agree with uh, to anything else in your life. So I think it's a similar situation especially in the minor leagues, because like I said, they don't have as, as much exposure as the players in the national league. And I think um, it's just, yeah, it's just, um, it's just different. I don't, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different kind of, you know, they're not made, it's not, they're not making big money. It's not, uh, you know, big, the big flashy lifestyle with cameras and the media all the time. So I think the stories often get swept under the rug. And I think it's, a, it's, it's a facet of sports that, uh, is kind of forgotten, not just in hockey. But I bet you that that that's, that rings true in any professional sports in the minor leagues. So you're headed to Utah, you said now for a game. I, do you have games in North Carolina, or do you ever like kind of cringe when you have to go to uh, a, a state like Utah or anywhere else, or anywhere else in the that in North Carolina? Not that makes really. You kind I mean, of... I lived I, I lived in the South last year uh, when all that stuff was going on, and actually I lived in Nashville, as you know when my first article about sports came out and I was traveling uh, all throughout all the rural Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia. So, uh, I mean, yeah, if I can, if I survive that, I think I can survive anything. At this point. So, well, uh, Dre, I know you got to catch a plane and we want to thank you very much for, uh, for being on and hopefully we'll see you in the NHL in a couple of years. That's still on track. That goal. Yeah, that's still my goal for sure. Well, well don't well, screw good it up. Luck and, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. don't <laughs> screw it up. All right, talk to you later. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. So, yeah, I do think it's interesting that, I mean, you have been, t- I mean, you were t- said you talked to someone recently who had been involved in hockey, also talked about the sport being weirdly maybe one of the harder ones to penetrate despite the openness of the you can you know they've had to the you can play project so it is an interesting culture the hockey culture this idea of individualism not being allowed in hockey uh it's it's interesting i don't understand it i'm still exploring it more you know it's uh, football is supposed to be the ultimate team sport yet individuals thrive there um so yeah it's uh I, I don't know. I still I, I will write something about it eventually. I've been 
off and on working on it for a while, just trying to get different perspectives. But there's, there seems to be some odd, um, some odd aversion to individuality in hockey that doesn't exist uh, to the depth it does there in other sports. So that's, that's the best answer that I've come up to. And, and obviously somebody standing up and saying publicly that he's gay is a form of individualism, which the sport I'm told would reject. Yeah, and I do think that's why this study that was in Canada was interesting because these young hockey players are a lot more exposed to LGBT issues in general, so they're much more open to the you know to just uh, accepting in society in general. But still, when it comes to their specific locker room, it's almost like you know the story said um, if there's certain ringleaders in the dressing room that put it down, those. That those people have real power, you know, like they're sort of the clubhouse leaders. So if the clubhouse leaders are make fun of gay people or something, it's going to make it harder for others to sort of maybe be more open about it. But there is at least hope it showed that these that compared to, you know, maybe past generations, that, that, that at least some of that is changing in hockey. Well, I keep saying we can we can tinker on the fringes and, of course, we can continue to do video campaigns and educational sessions. But this stuff, the, the, the truth of sports and homophobia isn't going to be revealed until more people come out. And, and, and that's just the way it is. Like we can we can keep talking about it, but we need LGBT people to come out. People oh get mad at me for saying that, putting the onus on gay people. Well, that's kind of where it is now. Well, and you know, we had a, a pro volleyball player, Chris Voss, who's, who uh, said he was denied a contract in a major volleyball country because he was gay, openly gay. They didn't want to deal with it. Um, so now he's playing in Finland. And so even, you know, in other sports you might think might be more accepting, it is still an issue. Um, and then on the other hand, we've had uh, University of Oklahoma released a uh, Martin Luther King Jr. tribute to trailblazing Oklahoma athletes. They had some famous football players and everything, and one of them was an openly gay track athlete. But that is all the time we have for now. Sid, enjoy your cruise, and we will talk to you when you get back.